There's a, a strange book I'm going to ask you to turn if you've got your Bible with you. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. But it's the book of Habakkuk. And uh, we've been spending two weeks in this book of Habakkuk. And we've entitled the series Faith in an Age of Fear. And uh, <laughs> Joe spoke too quickly last week. We are moving this from a three-week series to possibly a five-week series. And so um, you know me so well. I can't wait to make the most of the, um, each book. And we had to move the next series because of a few dates. But I really believe God in His sovereignty has this very simple message this morning in store for you. And that He has so moved things and moved myself that this is just for you. And so I'm very excited uh, I remember what we're doing here is we are learning the ABCs of faith. I've got a grade one teacher. Hey, Tammy, you're grade one. If you don't know your letterland, you can't spell, right? And so what we're talking about here is if you've got spelling, then you can get better and better getting the more complicated words. But the point is you never, ever stop needing your alphabet. And this is what we are needing, which is the alphabet of faith. And so uh, we are going to be reading three simple verses this morning from chapter two. From verse 1 to 3. But I want to just remind us, if you're joining us here for the first time, what we've briefly said over the last two weeks. We said if we are going to move from a space of fear, and my goodness, this is an age where we are gripped with it, to faith and all of its benefits and blessings, we have to do a few things. The first is when we are struck by an, a situation of a distress, we are to stop and think. Not about what we feel, not about the situation, but about who God is. And that's the first thing. We've got to stop and think. We've got to think about God. The second thing is we've got to focus about what we know to be true in the situation. That is who God is, His characteristics and His nature. And the third step is the step of faith. Trusting God and knowing God are two different things. You might know God, but that does not necessarily mean you trust Him. And what faith is, is saying, I'm going to take about what I know to be true about God and I'm going to apply it. I'm going to apply it to the situation and I'm going to believe it. And we came to a fourth step, which, which Joe left out last week, and for good reason, I think, in God's wisdom, because we never really spoke about it. And I sense for many of us here, we're in the fourth step. And this is what I feel God wanting to unpack a bit more this morning is, let's say you are still struggling. The situation hasn't resolved like Habakkuk did. Habakkuk got an answer. And so he got to step three, but it ended there for him in some ways. We'll see this morning. But there's a fourth step. And the fourth step is, if you are still in the situation, and it could be some situation of distress that's causing fear and anxiety in your life, and you haven't yet got an answer, and God hasn't yet delivered you from it, what do you do? How do you cope? What are we as Christians to give ourselves to? And it is this, we are to commit the situation to God in faith and to wait for his answer. How many of you this morning have presented a request or a question to God and you're waiting for an answer? And how do we cope in the tension of the distressing circumstance and still the uncertainty of God's answer and how he wants to resolve the situation? Well, we bridge the gap by the faith step of waiting. And friends, this can be a life-changing moment for you this morning. You see, last week, Joe talked about faith being central to Habakkuk. If you open up this book, the one thing Habakkuk wants to teach you over and over is the righteous shall live by faith. If there's one scripture you need to memorize from this book, it's that. And he said faith is not just a moment. 
you know, we talk about putting your faith in Jesus as being the start of you becoming a Christian. You put your faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus as your only hope of salvation. And that is a moment of faith. Ah, oh, but it has to be a lifestyle. You know, there's only two ways to live your life, Joe said. It's either by unbelief, and that's if you read chapter 2. It is a woeful way to live your life. It leads to such damage and distress. Five woes being pronounced against these Babylonians that lived unbelief. But faith is the other option. Faith. And faith is always rewarded and blessed. And so today, I want us to read just these three simple verses. And we're going to unpack what it means to bridge the gap of distress by waiting. What a thing it is to do. Let's read from verse 1 together. Chapter 2. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower, Habakkuk says, and look out to see what God will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaints. And here's verse 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And my first point today is, if we are to live by faith, the first thing we see about Habakkuk is central to living out faith is prayer. It's talking to God. This whole book is a dialogue between this man and his very personal journey with this God who's doing something he doesn't understand. And the way the life of faith is worked out, my friend, is through prayer. You cannot miss it as you read this book. And I want to ask you this morning as my opening statement is, how seriously do you take prayer in your life? We cannot go anywhere in this life of faith unless we realize that how we work out our distress and every aspect of our life, it's in this wonderful communion with this God who hears. And that's my second little uh, subheading under my first point is that this God in Habakkuk speaks. I want to ask you, do you believe that this morning? Honestly, in your life, that God, the same voice that created the heavens and the earth, is wanting to speak to you personally. He wants a personal relationship with you. And Habakkuk's whole outworking is not just him talking, 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 and brick wall, brick wall, brick wall. No, no, the wonderful thing about Habakkuk is this God of heaven and earth, he speaks, not just uh, broadly and, and uh, in creation, not just almost mutely through circumstance. No, his very voice can be heard in your life. It's a wonderful thing. And Habakkuk is also evidence that if you're going to take the life of faith seriously this morning, and I hope you are, I hope you see that there's no other way to live, is that you are going to need to be willing to wait for the Lord's answer. Friends, Habakkuk had to wait a long time. And can I just commend Lauren on coming forward this morning? It's wonderful to hear her testimony. It was a long wait, a year and a half. Let me tell you, we prayed, we prayed, we prayed, we prayed. And by the time you get to chapter 2, you notice that Habakkuk has had to wait a lot. I mean, he opens up in verse 2 of chapter 1. Oh, Lord, how long before you answer or how long before you save? He's been crying out for help over and over. It's been possibly years He's seeing this distressing situation in the country and he's crying out violence. And God has said nothing. And eventually, in verse 5, God answers. Look among the nations and see. God, Habakkuk gets his answer from God. That's the first round. The second round is he has to wait again. He says, okay, you're telling me that these Babylonians, this wicked and hasty nation, is going to come and um, invade the, uh, Judah and he's going to uh, 
chastise Judah so that Judah, the Judeans or the Israelites get rid of their idolatry. Okay, he gets the first answer. But then his second, answer, his second uh, question is this. Is how can these Babylonians that are so wicked and ugly and awful be used by a holy and righteous God and the very people that they're punishing are more righteous than they? And are they going to get away with it? He can't cope with the fact that a holy God could use an unholy people to do such a thing. And he has to wait again. And that's the verse this morning. He says, okay, well, here's my, here's my, my question. I am going to go into my watchtower, he says, and I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. He has to wait. How many of you have had to wait a long time for the Lord to show himself? Some of you are still waiting. And can I say to you this morning, one of the things about, oh, I printed on both sides. That's very important, Matthew. <laughs> you almost got half the sermon. Some of you would have been relieved by that, hey? <laughs> it's my second point is this, is the difficulty of waiting. Oh, my goodness. And this is why I feel the Lord wants to slow down a little bit. Is, friends, we have a difficulty waiting for anything, don't we? And we live in an, in an impatient age, and it's getting worse all the time. Our very lifestyles mitigate against, against waiting for God. And you know, you know I, was, I, was, I was thinking a little bit. Remember when you used to get the magazines that probably still have it, and they had the TV schedule in it? And you used to mark what programs you wanted to watch in the month. Was it just me? And you had to wait. I mean, the fact that you had to wait a week after one episode until it came on SABC 1, 2, 3, or Eminent, or whatever it was. I mean, that's, that's just gone. Netflix, yeah, I can get what I want. Or what about that dial-up internet? And then the, the page would load down like this. And you're, wow, I'm surfing the net. And it would take forever. And now, I mean, if there's just one second delay, we've just had fiber installed. What a blessing. I mean, they just upped it for, to 20 megabytes per second. I mean, it's like, I mean, the other day I happened to be in a poor signal of, of E. You know, is it the E one that's really bad on your phone? You look at the top and you see what the signal is. Come on, just work it out. I mean, I couldn't take the fact that I had to wait two minutes to get the WhatsApp. You know, this morning, it's so bad. I'm sorry, I, 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 you can see I really struggle with this. I got outside the school, which is just up here at Fun and Four to drop off my little boy, and the queue was down Epson Road. I couldn't wait. I pulled my car my, over the side. I grabbed my kids out, and I walked. And I can see that the car in front of me is matching my pace. It's going to get there the same time that I'm going to get there with my kids. And I'm huffing and puffing. My poor little kids are like running around at the one falls. I'm like, you're fine. You're fine. Come on, just get up. Let's go. Let's go. We've got to get to the... And we get to the teacher. And then the teacher goes, what are you doing? And, we were, and Sarah's like, the queue was too long to wait. That's what we like. We live in a self-sufficient age. Friends, never before have we felt so empowered to make our own decisions in life and to not wait for another person to give us counsel. I'll just YouTube it, not so. I'll just Google it. Dr. Google, my wife's worst nightmare. <laughs> what about just WhatsApp my friends? You know, the likelihood of slowing down in this day and age and taking the time and risk to allow God to speak on a matter, it's decreasing all the time. We live in a consumer age. I'm a pharmacist. I worked for a retail company. The whole ethos is never keep a customer waiting. Never. Customer's king. 
and the whole framework of our capitalist system in this country is to make the customer, you and me, feel like everything must run on our terms and our time. If you keep me waiting, watch out. And this thought in this age that there is another authority that has authority over my life, that determines my time and my seasons, that I'm accountable to, that actually I'm to wait for, that actually is someone who is vastly superior in running my life. It's totally foreign to say in this day and age, I must yield to another authority. It is taboo. It's blasphemy to postmodernism. But you see, my friends, God likes to take his time on things. And I, I you know, can I just let you into the secret of my own heart? It takes me quite a while to go into nature and enjoy it because it is so slow. I remember in Mpongo, they used to have those hippos, and oh my word, they would walk from over the hill, and you sit there waiting, and these hippos are you say, can't you do something better with your life? Why are you so slow? Why are you so slow? Have you ever watched Buck? I'm telling you, have you ever watched these animals, and they're just sitting there, they're lying, they're doing nothing. There's these buck, they're chewing the cud. I'm just like, do something with your life! Or do something that my life means meaning, feels meaningful because right now I'm wasting time. The whole rhythm of God's creation, it's slow, not so. Pardon? Praise God. <laughs> You're in retirement. You can say that now. You're not like me. I've got things to do, Dad. <laughs> but seriously, and waiting on the Lord is perhaps one of the hardest things for you and me to do. But can I say this to you this morning? It will determine how far you go in the life of faith. How seriously do you want to live by faith? Will be how willing you are to wait for the Lord. And I want to make a few more statements before I go through the very simple steps of just three steps of how to wait on the Lord this morning. But I want to convince you why you should take this seriously this morning. Why is waiting for the Lord so important? My third point. It's because... It is a profound opportunity to hear the God of creation speak to you. I want to ask you a question this morning. What is the most important voice in your life? Do you know, or would you take it more seriously if I said to you, and it's true, that this God of heaven wants to speak to you? This God before time and space, before anything in all creation, all wisdom and power and glory is His, that He wants to speak to you. It's like meeting the queen. If I said, oh, I can't think of someone better, so just forgive me for the moment. She's probably very sorrowful with the death of her, her poor husband. But imagine I said, you get to meet the queen, or I can't think of someone more important, and you'll drop, you'll go, yes, I want to go and meet this person. How much more the God of heaven wanting to speak to you? And why is waiting on the Lord so important? My friend, it is an opportunity for the God of heaven and earth to talk to you. And what a voice. And let me tell you, believers in this place this morning, it is putting your money where your mouth is. Why is waiting on the Lord so important? Because it says to the world and to you that we serve a God who speaks. Amen. And we can say it, but we don't live like it. And the point is this, is if you are willing to wait for the Lord in your life, you are affirming that He is a God who hears and He listens. You are affirming it to yourself and you are affirming it to the world, but you are also affirming it to God. And I want to say, it brings Him such pleasure. It is an act of worship when His children are willing to stop and to listen and to wait for a God who loves Him and wants to answer. It doesn't just do something for you. It does something for God. And it's a way 
of letting God love you. Isn't that wonderful? God wanting to speak to you is a way that He wants to love you. Do you know, it is giving the cold shoulder, right? When you try and hurt, giving someone the silent treatment. That's when you really want to hurt someone. But intrinsic to love is this voice, this communication, this open sense of God speaking. And that's the way He wants to love us, is He wants to shepherd us by His voice. God does not want to give us the eternal silent treatment. But more than that is, it is the primary way you get to know God. You know, my little puppy Rosie, we've got a brand new little puppy in, in December. She's five months now. I've had to take her to puppy school, which has been a cross to bear, but nevertheless has been very helpful. It's taught me one thing that this puppy has to understand my voice. So the most important command for this puppy is, come, come Rosie, come, come. Doesn't matter if she can sit or whatever in public, if she doesn't come and she can't recognize my voice, she's lost. And I want to say to you this morning, part of my struggle as a Christian for many years was a fear of God and His voice. My problem was I was worried that He was gonna ask me to do something that I didn't like or he was going to be harsh with me. But something that has happened as I've been willing to be open to this voice and wait for him is I have learned his character. And friends, how seriously do you want to know God and what he's like and his love for you? It will come through your willingness to listen to him. And when he speaks, you will realize he is kind. In my sabbatical, God was so kind to me I brought a lot of my issues. It was a time to take out all the muck of my heart and going, I feel like this and this and this and da, 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 da. And God's voice was so kind. And I said, God, I don't know. Is this really what you like? Is this really what you like? Yes, Matt. And he gave me Psalm 23. He says, look at my shepherding over your life. I am the one who makes you lie down in green pastures. I lead you beside still quiet waters. I restore your soul. You matter to me. And when I speak, I'm not just working for my glory. I'm working for your good. You can trust me as a good shepherd. And David said, there's no one else I want to trust. I don't want to, I just, no one else do I want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The way that you get to know God is you get to know His voice, just like my puppy has to know my voice. My kids in a crowd can hear their dad call and go, that's my father. I run to him. If I'm lost, I'm safe with him. You will not know God if you do not wait for Him in your life. And Jesus, He is lowly and He's gentle. He said, come to me all your weary and heavy laden and you will find rest for your souls. You will find that this Jesus is good and this Father is loving. And the more He speaks to you, the more you know who He is. Love is not academic. Love is not non-experiential. Love is a securing, stable sense of this person is for me. You only get that if you're willing to wait for him. A few more things before I, I landed on three simple points this morning. Is waiting for the Lord is one of the primary ways you need to check in whether or not you're okay with him. Can I ask you a question this morning? How long can you go before you realize God hasn't spoken to you for a long period of time. One of the highest forms of judgment on a Christian is for God to stop speaking to him. It's Hebrews 6. It's King Saul. Saul had to raise up Samuel in order to try and discern the will of God. And let me tell you, 
if we don't learn to treasure God's voice in our lives, we will not slow down to check in with Him, and the result is disaster. And the, the reason why, <laughs> this is me this morning, might be for you. The reason why I was slowing down to hear the voice of the Lord and wait for me is so important, is it will change your entire lifestyle. How many of you are stressed out? burnt out, exhausted, you're going, life is too fast, life is too difficult, I don't even have time to pray, I don't even have time to read my Bible, I don't even have time. Friends, I want to remind you that the harsh or stark reality is you wrap your life around what you value. And when you start to value the voice of the Lord in your life, you start to make intentional decisions to slow down in order to be accessible to Him. And where can I put it from? It's the story of Martha and Mary. Who was the one all upset about the cucumbers and the beans and things not being done? There's so much to do. Why isn't my sister helping me? No time to listen to Jesus. There is Jesus in the room next door, the fulfillment of the promise of God. And what is she doing? She's valuing her performance to get things done. And she's angry that everybody else is not working as fast as she is. And here is Mary. There's work to be done, sure. She's not lazy. We know later on she is a devoted follower of Christ. But in the moment, what is she valuing? She is valuing being close to Jesus and hearing his voice. And Jesus said, Jesus said, Mary has chosen. Mary has chosen. This wasn't a default. She wasn't some sort of mystic person that lived high in the sky. But she made a decision because of this voice of the Lord that she so desperately loved and treasured in her life. She made a decision to slow down. Friends, you will slow down to match the pace of God speaking to you if you'll take this seriously. That's huge. Your, your solution to your life is not your calendar. The solution to the pace of your life is how fast are you willing to run without the voice of the Lord in it? And I'm talking across the spectrum. Kids, students, young adults, parents, those who are in retirement, let me tell you, you will learn to slow down in your rhythm in order to match God's word. And let me tell you, it will be good for you. And I want to say this, uh, I lived it this week. It will save you from unnecessary pain. I did not wait for the Lord this week. And in doing so, in trying to figure this thing out and get it done, in the end, I caused great hurts. And it's the same in Scripture. Joshua, so confident after Jericho, went after the little town of Ai, and they were slaughtered. The Gibeonites, not slowing down for the counsel of the Lord. It caused unnecessary pain. And friends, some of, the, some, of the, some of our stories is that we have not listened to the Lord. And it has caused such pain. And the result has been unnecessary going round the mountain of frustration. And friends, this morning the Lord wants to slow you down and say, Hey man, it's time to listen. So how do we wait on the Lord? Three simple steps. The first is, you commit the problem to the Lord, and you leave it there. <laughs> what does Habakkuk say? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. He's doing something in response to his waiting. He's asked God a bunch of questions. What is he going to do? He says, I'm going to take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what God will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaints or when I am rebuked. So what is Habakkuk saying to you? You've got a problem. You're waiting for God, my friend. You must commit your problem to the Lord and leave it there. What does that mean? It means that you detach 
yourself from the issue. What does it mean to climb up into a watchtower? Anybody climbed up into a watchtower? It's an amazing experience. You, you're suddenly high above all the throng, all the, the, all the distractions, and him climbing up into his watchtower is saying, I am deliberately removing myself from all of the nagging thoughts and the nagging voices and the nagging emotions of what is going horizontally, what's happening horizontally in my life. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself up on the tower. He goes up, out of the whole melee. And it's a place, if you've ever been in a watchtower, it's so peaceful. It's free from all of the clamor below. And so committing your problem to the Lord and leaving it there, the first step is to detach ourselves from the problem. And you also, in a sense, have to turn psychologically, mentally, your back on the problem. You know how hard this is? <laughs> what does it mean? He says, I will take my stand at my watch post. Oh, sorry, I already read that. He says, and I will look to see what he will say to me. Where Habakkuk's eyes are whilst waiting for the Lord to come through is not on the horizontal situation of the relational mess or the circumstantial mess. He's gone up. He's detached himself. And what he's determined to think about, what he's refusing to give into, is brooding. This brooding over this situation and circumstance. You know what it's like to brood? Oh, my goodness. I'm the master of it. And you sit and you're thinking, you go, oh, no, no. Habakkuk says, you've got to resist that. If you're going to wait for the Lord and to be accessible to his answer, you refuse to brood over what is happening. You and you even have to be violent with yourself. This is where you talk to yourself. Hey, no, no, no. No, no, no. Don't do that. We committed this to the Lord in prayer. I'm not going to think about this. I'm going to wait. I'm going to fix my eyes. Psychologically, I'm determined to not look at this situation. I am going to fix my eyes on what God is going to say to me. Just this double-sidedness is really throwing me this morning. <laughs> then what happens? Is if you committed, committed it to the Lord, you even refuse to talk about it with anybody. How hard is that? Habakkuk says, I... I've taken my stand at my watch point, and I'm going to look to see what He will say to me. What we do is when we commit this thing to the Lord, and we leave it there, we actually don't leave it there. Once we finish praying, we get up and we try and find the next book, or we talk to everybody else before we actually get to God in prayer. Habakkuk is saying, and 8 o'clock, please hear me on this, is do you leave space for God to speak, or do you drive the process to find the answer? There's a difference. There's a difference. Let me answer my, my WhatsApp. Let me consult my, my Facebook. Let me consult Google. Let me consult my, my colleagues. Let me, let me talk to everybody else. Let me get everything else possibly ticked before I actually give God the chance to speak to me. Sound familiar? Friends, this morning, if you've committed it to the Lord, you have to be honest. And you give Him time before you run and you process with everybody else. Habakkuk saying, I'm waiting for him to speak to me. And Habakkuk brings himself, that's the first step, commit, yourself to, commit your problem to the Lord and leave it there, is you detach yourself, you turn your back on it, you, you give God space to say, I'm, I'm, leaving, I'm not going to brood over this, I'm not going to go and try and solve my problem after I've just given it to you, I'm not going to take it back, I'm going to wait for you. And he brings himself to this place of coolness and calmness and patience from great distress. He's been crying, violence, where are you, Lord? He gets into his watchtower. First step, you with me? Second step, simple, expect an answer from God. Why do you go up into a watchtower? You look at the watchtower because you're expecting to see something, right? 
Now, the first danger, danger in step one is to brood over it. The second danger is to talk to God about it and forget you've ever said anything to him. And forget that he actually is going to answer. It's, it's, a, it's a way of unbelief. It's actually going, well, I've done my duty in giving it to you, God, but actually I'm going to forget about it. And whatever you decide to do, well, that's up to you. But I'm not going to expect an answer. That's not what Habakkuk does here. The point is, he says, I'm going to look out to see what he will say to me. When you pray, faith is matching and saying, God is going to answer. He's going to answer. And it's taking God at his word. Lauren said, Lord, I know that you're in control of my life. I'm not just going to take the first thing that comes to me. I'm not going to be fatalistic. I want your leadership on this massive decision in my life. And she expected an answer. Do you? Do you? Do you expect God, like a watchman, to respond to your prayer? And friends, you might be saying this morning, God's never spoken to me. Or you might say, I never know if God speaks, if it's really self-generated or not. Well, I want to help you this morning. The first thing that faith says is that Jesus speaks to you. If you're his child, he says, my sheep hear my voice. You must believe it. If you say, I don't think God speaks to me, you are actually being unbiblical. You are not believing God. The step of faith is saying, Jesus speaks to me. I'm his sheep. If you have faith in Jesus, he talks to his sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And Paul repeatedly says, you are to know the will of God. In Romans 12 verse 2, he says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. In Colossians 1 verse 9, that you might be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. Is that your life is meant to be accessible by nature of your new birth to this voice of heaven. Do you believe it? That's where you must start. God speaks to me as his child. But the way that we praise this, well, how does God's voice sound? Well, I'm going to help you there too. Do my best. I'm sure some of you can improve on it. You can talk to me after the service. But this is how it works. This is what it's not when God speaks to you. It is not fatalism. Please, it's not when you say, oh, well, whatever comes out of the situation will be fine. It's not whatever will be, will be. No, no. First of all, expecting God to speak to you is not fatalistic. It is believing God is going to tell me. I'm going to see and I'm expecting an answer. Secondly, it's not superstitious. It's not waking up and seeing God in your cereal. Or seeing God in, this one guy came up to me outside of the shopping center. He said, oh, my lucky numbers are in your number plate. I'm going to have a great day. It's, you, you, God's voice is not matched to being coincidence. It, you could see that in anything. So it's not superstitious and it's not fatalistic. What is God's voice? How does he speak to you? Well, my friends. He speaks to you directly. Directly. What do I mean by that? Is that God says through Habakkuk, well, Habakkuk says this in verse 1, is another way of translating, I will watch to see what he will say in me. That's another way of translating the Hebrew. God speaks to me by speaking in me, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, and he's so right. James chapter 1 verse 21 says, Receive with meekness the implanted word. God can speak to you directly and it's able to save your souls. He can come to you like an, uh, an inner voice that's so laid on your mind that you know it's him. How do you know it's him? These are the two things that happen when you hear the voice of God. The first is you get clarity. I want you to hear that. When God speaks, he removes the veil of confusion and you can see clearly. That's a watchtower. 
you climb into the watchtower, you get clarity of vision. And when God moves, you know it's real. So it's not just a clarity, it's an increasing confidence. My friend, how do you know God is speaking to you? The Spirit is not a spirit of confusion. The Holy Spirit is not a spirit of delusion. It's not a spirit of doubt. When God speaks to you, He gives you a sound mind. God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. That soundness of mind is a clarity you suddenly can see clearly. And what it does is it gives you an increased confidence. You know, this is God. I'll give you an example. It comes to you in different ways. Primarily, it comes through Scripture. This is how I can explain it. It can come at weird times. My, my week last week was waking up very early in the morning and this scripture goes through my mind, Lamentations 3. The week before that was do everything in love. And suddenly as it comes into your mind, oh, that's the Lord. That's, I must do that. I can see clearly of what I need to do to lead this meeting or to do, and, and I can have an increased sense of confidence. Oh, friends, let me tell you, when God speaks, it can come through impressions, it can come through conversation, it can come through scripture, most often through scripture. It can be a recalling to mind of scripture. That's the most common way. But when it comes, God's voice comes in such a way where there is this clarity and there is this confidence of knowing this is God. Are you, are you with me this morning? Do you know what I'm saying? You must trust it. It can come across as a feeling of persistent disquietness. Maybe you're in a position of, should I, should I date this guy? Or, or should I choose this course? Or should I choose this job? Or what must I do about my child's education? Or what, you, you're wrestling with these big things. And there's a bunch of opportunities in front of you. There's a bunch of options. But every time you try one, you disquiet it in your soul. You just don't have peace. You must listen to that very carefully. Paul had wonderful opportunity for ministries. There he was traveling through Turkey, modern-day Turkey. He could go north into Bithynia. He could go south into Asia Minor. He could have done wonderful things for Jesus. But the second he tried to go there, the Spirit of the, of, of the living God forbade him, it says. He was constrained by the Spirit. He had no peace. He knew it was a no. There was no clarity and there was no confidence. And the result was he didn't go. Do you live your life like that, my friends? God speaks to us more often than we think. And this thing of disquietness is just as important because what Paul had to do was he didn't change direction. He didn't go north and go south. He kept doing the same thing until he got to Troas. And that night, he had the dream of the Macedonian man. He had clarity and he had confidence and he went overseas into Greece. That's how you process your business decisions. That's how you process your parenting. That's how you process the decisions that you make of your life, is you follow the leadership of the Spirit that is this disquietness at times where you, you refuse to give in to a direction which is making you feel disquiet. And you wait. You wait. You wait for God. And suddenly, when the watchman can see there across the land, they can see clearly and they can see with confidence what is happening, you go. Or well, the last is this is sometimes God takes the situation right out of your hands. It's the most exciting, it's for me often the greatest relief. Where God so overrules that the business deal falls through or the person leaves the country or you pray and suddenly you just see God has closed the door with a padlock on it. You know what I'm talking about? Ain't no way that door's going to open again. What a relief. And you live your life like this. You make space for God to speak. And when he speaks, there are two things that happen. You will see clearly and you will have confidence to act. 
But the point is this, you've got to weigh that up. So, so I grew up in a church where, and I want to encourage you to do the same. Community is processing life together, but not at the cost of hearing God for yourself. So I'll give an example. I was part of a small group. I had prophetic words. They said, Matt, we believe you're going to stay in Cape Town. I was there for my internship and I was processing my community service and I wanted to stay in Cape Town. I applied. I broke all the rules to stay in Cape Town. I believe God was going to stay in Cape Town. And, and there, they were all saying it. Circumstantially, I was hoping for it. And God said no. He sent me off to East London. Sovereignly. The two didn't match. Who was right? I didn't go back and say, oh, oh, God was too small. He didn't fulfill the prophetic word. I'm so unhappy here in East London. I don't know what I'm going to do anymore, you know. My life's over. What happens? I believed that this was God's move and it was the best of my life. It was the best. So I had to match and say, these, these people love Jesus. They have the Holy Spirit. They've been right on other things before. I believe God speaks to me through words, through pictures, through, and they gave a whole bunch of scriptures. My goodness. The whole evening was like, I'm in Cape Town. Department of Health, take on God. <laughs> and the point is this is, at the end of the day, the Lord had his way. And when you weigh up, you will find that when God speaks to you, he'll never go beyond the bounds of scripture, and he'll also never go beyond the revelation of scripture. Some questions you will not have God's answer on until you go to meet with him in heaven. The point is this, is the area for asking is vast. The way we live our lives is we believe this God speaks to us. And so my last step, the three, the first is you commit the problem to God, you leave it there. Second, you expect an answer. Some of you are waiting for years. Good, keep expecting. The third is this, is you maintain an open and humble attitude as you wait. The other way of translating verse 1 of Habakkuk is this, is I will wait and what I will answer, sorry, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. And I, and what I will answer when I am rebuked. Wow. Habakkuk saying this, God, I don't have this all together. I want this thing, but I'm letting you say no to it. I think I'm right on this thing, but I'm letting you make sure that I'm right or tell me I'm wrong. His attitude is not, I am so preempting the will of God. Let me tell you, God does surprising stuff. Oh, back Habakkuk, he was praying for one thing. God was doing a total other thing. Open-mindedness in the life of faith is the essence of our pastor to a God who can do anything and wants to do everything his own way. Let me tell you, the third step is to have this attitude of Habakkuk's expecting rebuke. Yeah, he's, he's gone a, a bit far in criticizing God's character, but... He's okay with that. Are you? And friends, if you hold these three steps together as you wait for Habakkuk's answer, my final big point is this, is that faith is always rewarded. And the Lord answered me in verse 2. What a moment. What a moment. Will you wait for it? God promises. God promises. Will you wait for it? In your distress, will you wait for God to speak and to act? I want to end with this psalm. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It is through faith and patience we inherit the promises. And it's going to be worth it, my friends. Let's pray.
Father, this morning, we are aware that you are asking us as a church to do something courageous. And it's to wait. Can you believe it? It's not to do anything. It's not to try and fix the problem. It's not to try and sort our lives out and get on top of the wagon and make sure we are food up divide. This morning, we get to enjoy you saying to us, no, I am at the head of the wagon. I lead the ship and I'm your good shepherd. And for some of us here this morning, Lord, you know the distress has been deep and it's been long. But Lord, I pray that that safety of the watchtower would be a place of refuge. Oh Lord, help us express faith by being willing to wait. I just have something on my heart this morning. I feel there's something that have prayed for children for many years. Some of you have got such a distressing, distressed heart for your kids. Just sense, oh. And the Lord says, I see that. Take up your stand in the watchtower. Trust me. Look to me. And so Lord, we want to give ourselves to you again today. We want to live by faith. We want to please you in these areas. And so Lord, as we going to go into this week, I pray that you'd bless our times together with you, that, Lord, we would be a people alive and alert, like that watchman, like Habakkuk, to God speaking. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.